Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you across our campuses. I love it when we get together to explore the things of God. And this weekend is particularly exciting as we step into our global outreach and faith promise emphasis. Now, normally, we unpack our missional investments in a two-week journey. But this year, we're utilizing four weeks to better position us to understand our 12-month focus and position us to fully live into the lifelong reality that everything we do is mission. That as he sent people, we're all missionaries. And so we're starting a four-week journey with a three-word title, Go Be Love. And I've got to tell you, the content of this series has the potential to change your life, to rock your world, to take you from here to here, from spiritually ho-hum to spiritually hi-ho. Because there are a lot of meaningful things we can do in this life, but none of them begin to compare to joining a holy God in the work that he is already doing. In our communities, in our workplaces, in our cities, and around the world. And whether you're a first-time guest with us or you're a long-time part of the Heritage family, I'm glad you're here. It was this past week that we had the privilege to once again host the Global Leadership Summit. And it's a really a yearly opportunity for us to hear from high-caliber leaders and professionals about their insight, experience, and the research. And if you've never been to a summit, I want to encourage you to make time to come next year. There is always something for everyone. But this particular year, there was one speaker who, in his presentation, identified three types of people. He was talking in terms of organizational performance and leadership, and, but the reality is that it ripples into any area of life that there are three types of people, and we can all express the type, but there is typically one type that we live into more often. And and what I want to do, I want to take that part of his presentation, I want to oversimplify it, and I want to share it with you right now. But this isn't in your note guide, so don't bother trying to look and find it. (laughs) But the first person, the first type of person is a taker. A taker. Now, this is obviously someone who takes, someone who seeks more from people than for people. And the most extreme expression of a taker is a narcissist. It's narcissism, where everything is about that person. And if you've ever wondered if you struggled with narcissism, or if someone you know is a narcissist, I want to give you a clinical, scientific, but yet simple test to find out. So here's the narcissist test. Go ahead and check this out, take a moment, and read it. Why don't you just take it in? Let you process that. If you can't read it, let me tell you, take a moment to think about yourself, step one. Step two, if you move, if if you made it to step two, you're not a narcissist. (laughs) So if you're laughing, you're not a narcissist. Listen, first type of person is a taker. Second type of person is a giver. A giver is someone who's sacrificial, who offers to help, who serves, someone who without regard of their own aspiration, interests, needs, or desires, will sacrifice for someone else. That's a giver. The third type of person is a matcher, and the matcher falls between the taker and the giver because they do a little bit of both, and they do it in the context of quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's tit for tat. So you've got a taker, matcher, and giver, and I wonder which of these three are you most often? I realize it can depend on the situation. I also realize I've given you very little information about these. But Which of these three do you fall into most often? If you don't know, 
You can ask your spouse, they'll help you. <laughs> your kids can help you out as well, <laughs> your brother, sister, even your employees can help you figure this out. But let's just do this for a moment. Raise your hand if you think the person next to you is a taker. Oh, wait, 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 no, no let's not do that. That would be a bad idea. Listen, here's the thing. This concept intrigued me because it has application for any family, any team, and any church. Because it means that there are takers, givers, and matchers in the context of the church. And that affects its culture. It affects its health. It affects the environment. It affects its effectiveness. <laughs> and it, it impacts the entire community. But here's where this started chewing up headspace for me, where it got me thinking a little bit more. See, none of these, these three things, none of them reflect and capture fully what a follower of Jesus Christ should be. Now, obviously, giver gets the closest, but all three of these fall short. They all have liabilities. In fact, the taker becomes a user, the matcher becomes a manipulator, and the giver becomes an enabler. And as much as I enjoyed the presentation, I felt like something was missing. I, I felt like I was missing a fourth person type. And it's actually a person type that we, we don't naturally live into, so perhaps it shouldn't have been in the presentation because it's actually not even something we can do on our own. But it is a fourth type. It's a type of person that should be reflected and lived out in all who are the church. And, and remember, we don't just go to church. We are the church. So do you have an idea what the fourth person type might be? Let me tell you, it's a lover. It's a lover. Now, I'm not talking about a Hollywood lover. I'm not talking about an illicit lover. I'm not talking about a marital lover or the opposite of a fighter. I'm talking about someone who truly loves. Because love is powerful. It binds us together. It builds us up. It breaks our hearts, and it positions us to lay down everything in sacrifice, even to lay down our very lives. Love is powerful. Just think for a moment when a point in your life, a point in time where, where love of some level motivated you. Think of a time where you're motivated by some level of love. You got one? What happened in that moment? It was probably very significant influence because love is a powerful motivator. But it's not just a motivator. It's not even just a, a source of inspiration. Love actually trumps all things. It is the greatest. And if you want to just grab your sermon guide for a moment, we're going to step into the first fill-in for today. Because the reality that love is the greatest translates for us into saying that love is greater than. Love is greater than. And we're using the mathematical computer programming symbol, the sideways V that has been used since the 1500s that communicates an inequality between two things to frame our conversation about love. Love is greater than. Love is what? Oh, come on, Bendorf, get on this. Love is what? There we go. Love is greater than. Love is the greatest. In fact, let me just, let me just take one step further in this conversation as, as this journey is framed by the reality that love is greater than. Love is the greatest. And it was Paul, the missionary and church planter Paul, in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, 
who identified this. He said this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. The greatest of these things is love. Love is the greatest. It overcomes. It drives. It, it conquers. It is the love of God expressed and demonstrated in the power of God that transforms lives. It is the love of God that saves us and then sends us. And through the course of the summer, we as a church family have walked through a series called Acts Church on Fire, and we've used this visual to help us understand who we are and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And it just looks like this, that, that everybody has a desire to be in relationship with God. Everybody has a desire to be in right relationship with Him. Our heart craves that. The problem is sin creates a gap between us and a holy God. But because of His love, His great love, He sent Jesus Christ to live and die and rise again so that he would serve as a bridge that we can cross to have relationship with God. And we can know God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And we believe in our heart and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We receive salvation, but we are not just saved to be saved. We are saved and sent to help others cross this bridge. But the challenge is that there is a second gap. It's a relational gap. It's a religious gap. It's a cultural gap, language gap, racial gap, you name it. There is a second gap between us and others, and we have the task of building bridges over that second gap to position other people to be able to make their own decision to cross this one. This is the reality of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. This is why we're here. It is the love of God that drives the whole thing. It is the love of God that sent Jesus. Love held him on the cross. Love saves us. Love sends us. Love compels us. And love is the primary thread woven through all of Scripture. In fact, if we get down to the two greatest commandments, Jesus identified them as the greatest commandments. They are to love God and love others. And they are reflected here. Love God, gap one. Love others, gap two. Loving God, loving others. Love bridges any gap and invites us into this. Yet there are some of us who have never lived into this. And there are some of us who have stopped living into this along the way. And today, we're not really truly loving him or others as he desires. And the problem often is how we view the gaps, how we feel about the gaps, about the gap between us and God or about the gap between us and others. Because we can look at those gaps and we can feel a sense of insecurity. We can have a sense of, of jealousy or unforgiveness or, or pride. <laughs> I'm not going to bridge that gap because of this. We can even have greed get in the way. There's a, there's a lot of brokenness in this world, and that can lead us to despair. It can lead us to apathy. It can lead us to a place where we're bound up in our own junk a place where there's tons of injustice in this world and we just turn a blind eye to it because we look at the gaps around us and we feel sad. We feel afraid. We feel prideful or even covetous. We may even look at those gaps and just say, you know, I can't. We can't. But here's the thing. For us to, to receive and then live out the love of God simply requires a decision. Love is a decision. And when we decide to receive the love of God, we also, in that same 
part of the process are needing to then decide to live out the love of God. It is not just about us. And this whole diagram, this whole concept, all boils down to a very simple reality that affects us all. It's something we've looked at before as a church, but we say it this way, that it's not enough that our hearts are different. Our cities should be as well. It's not enough that we're saved. It's not enough that we have the access to God. Our city should be transformed as a result of the fact that we are saved and then sent. And if we follow Jesus, if he is our Lord, if he is our Savior, if we call him master, then we have forfeited our right to make excuses. Because it's not enough that our hearts are different. And our our salvation is not just about us. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we receive is not just about our salvation. It is about empowering us to live and love and serve in a manner that is for the good of others and the glory of God. And we are saved and sent. And Paul very specifically wrote about this in Ephesians. And and he calls us to do this. He calls us to follow God's example. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of what? In the way of what? In the way of love. Just follow his example and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My friends, follow God's example. Walk in the way of love. God models that love for us. And the love he models requires sacrifice. It requires giving. God so loved the world that he gave And we love when we give. When we give second chances. When we give grace, forgiveness, our best effort. When we give time and talent and treasure. But when we don't give, we really don't love. Yet when we live in the transforming power of God's great love, and we walk in the way of love, We go, and we give, and we love, and we begin to live out his example because he's the one who first loved us, which then allows us to love in return. Now, here's a very challenging thing we're talking about love. In the Greek, there are actually four different words to describe love, and for those of us that function primarily in a language that usually uses one to describe all four, it can get confusing. So let me just walk through the four different words that are in the Greek that express love. The first one is eros, and it's referring to sexual passion. So the, the word for love, eros, is related to sexual passion. Then you have storge, which is really just talking about family devotion. It's a type of love expressed in family devotion. Beyond that, we have phileo love, which is really talking about friendship or brotherly love. It's why Philadelphia is called Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But then you have agape, which is a love that is expressed in loving kindness. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a deep love. And when we look at the whole of the New Testament, we see that most often when describing and defining love, the word agape is used. The word agape. It's a love that gives without demanding or expecting anything in return. It's a love that is focused on the good of another. And it's not simply acquiescing to their desires. So here's the thing. It's not being a taker. It's not being a matcher. And it's better than being a giver. It's agape love. And it's best seen in the gift of God through Jesus, in Jesus Christ. In John 3.16, we know, For God so loved the world that he gave. God so agape loved the world 
he gave. And agape love is an action. It's an action, not simply a feeling. It's, it's an action that's rooted in obedience. It requires a choice. And Ephesians 5 calls us to choose to walk in agape love. Action more than feeling. It literally means to welcome, to entertain, to love deeply, which makes complete sense to me. Because when we look at the whole of Scripture, we look at all the ins and outs of Scripture over and over and over again, we see a very clear call to love. Jesus himself said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And as we step into the, the start of this series, one of the foundational realities that will run through all aspect of our conversation will be that God sends us to go be loved. God sends us to go be love, to by action go as a sent people, and be where our being leads to doing, a people who agape love. God sends us to go be love. So over these four weeks, we'll look at how we do that in four specific areas. Because love is greater than bondage, love is greater than despair, love is greater than apathy, and love is greater than injustice. Love is greater than the things of this world that keep us stuck. So let's take a moment to address the first obstacle to bridging the second gap and to living out a posture of going and being love. So here's the thing. To be part of bridging gaps, we need to be free. We need to be free. And the beautiful thing is that, that, that God's love enables us to be free. God's love leads us to freedom. In fact, God's love overcomes any bondage. Any bondage. Whatever struggles we have, His love overcomes it. Whatever struggles you have, His love overcomes it. Any addiction, any habit, any pattern of thinking, any shame, any regret, any failure, any liability, it is the love of God that overcomes it by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Just consider with me three statements about Jesus and freedom. Two come from Jesus and one from Paul. Here's the first one from John 8. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we know him as the truth, then that sets us free. He goes on to say this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not you might be free, you ought to be, you should be. You will. When he sets us free, we are free. In fact, it was Paul who experienced this and would go on to write this in Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom that he has set us free. Now, that all sounds really, really good. I think we're like, yeah, we can be free. That's awesome. But I don't think we actually get it. <laughs> because far too often, those who have been saved, who have crossed the first gap through Jesus Christ, who have been rescued from sin, still live in it. And that's because they're living only half of the gospel, not the whole gospel. They, they find themselves in a place where they're living forgiven but not free. And without the full gospel, without an understanding of the freedom that Jesus brings, then we find this spiritual journey lacking, and we struggle, and we miss the beauty and the power of the whole gospel. 
Because here's the thing, freedom is like humility. It's only fully realized in its application. And when it, it's not lived, it's lost. So in some way, we could say this about freedom, that freedom is lost unless it's lived. It's lost unless it's lived, unless it's embraced, unless it's nurtured as it's lived out. If that's not done, then we're not fully free. We're not living in the freedom. We just can't claim freedom and not practice it. We have to live it out. Do this with me if you would. Picture in your mind a guy sitting in jail, sitting in prison. He's sitting on his bunk in the middle of his cell. Got that image in your head? Okay, now zoom out with me for a moment and see and visualize that every door and every gate is open. He's sitting with pardon papers in his hand, yet he stays in his cell. Is he living in the full freedom that is offered to him? No. What if he goes out but then comes back in? Is he living in the full freedom available? No. And far too many followers of Jesus live just like that. Freed. But by their own choices, picking up chains that Jesus has broken. Sitting in a cell they no longer need to be in. Leaving and coming and leaving and coming because they don't live in the true freedom and the power available. When we only live in forgiveness and not freedom, life feels incomplete. We have a sense of freedom, but not true freedom. And as cool as salvation is, it will be lacking without freedom. And the tragedy is, is when we go out and return to things we know should have never been. It's like getting a shower only to turn around and roll in the dirt. It shouldn't be. And Jesus is the one who offers forgiveness and freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from our past, freedom from shame. And to go be love, to be a lover and not a taker, requires us to be free. We need to be free. If we're not, we make it about us. But we're free in the power of Jesus who broke every chain. He breaks chains. He still breaks chains. Through repentance, through a turning from and when we don't live out the whole gospel, saved and sent, we can find ourselves in a place where we're not living in true freedom, but actually living in a form of bondage because we've become disobedient. I want to invite you into a story that God is writing in our church family. Um, at the end of July, I passed my two-year mark of being part of the Heritage team. And I've got to say, I... Okay. Great. Okay, good. Thanks. So, I got to say, I love Heritage Church. Don't clap. I love Heritage Church, and I love the Quad Cities. The more I get to know Heritage Church, the more I love it. The more I get to know the Quad Cities, the more I love the Quad Cities. Now, neither are perfect. Both have challenges, but both have great beauty, and God has aligned my heart to both. At the same time, God has been preparing Heritage Church and the Quad Cities for a new season of his power at work. He is calling us to love and serve the 400,000 of the Quad Cities and specifically to seek to reach the 200,000 people of the Quad Cities who do not yet know Jesus Christ. That is a big task. And, and we lack much to see it all done. Whether you're talking about the Esperanza, Esperanza Center retrofit or whether you're looking at our discipleship process or spiritual journey investments or you're, you're looking at our, our sent local investments or even the global investments. 
each of those things reflect a God-sized vision. And we set a God-sized budget to, to come alongside that this year. It's a bold move with big, hairy, audacious goals. And there's a desperation that falls on anybody who understands how big this thing is and what God's calling us to. And we realize as leaders that there's limited time, talent, and treasure. And so we've been working very diligently to prioritize those and stay in step. But the more I've learned about our journey as a church, the, the more I have just sat with God and, and listened to Him, I realize that there are some things that we have done in our 50-year history that have broken His heart. There, there are sins within our journey. We've sinned as a church. And those things have become a form of bondage for us. Now, I'm not talking about everything. And before you push on me on that, just let me explain for a moment. I have been talking to you over the last couple weeks about the spiritual realities in our church. I've shared with you my own journey through the D's and how the enemy uses doubt and discouragement to push us into isolation, fear, and victim mentality. Talked about that last week. I talked about how the team is just facing an increasing spiritual battle intensity. As God prepares to do this larger vision thing in us, it makes sense that the enemy would ramp up the battle around it. And so in the context of great vision, in the context of increasing spiritual battle, the, the, the ministry team, the board, we have been very intentional in leaning into understanding, actually begging God, crying out to him, going, Lord, how do we do what you want us to do? And just this past week on Tuesday, I was sitting in a room of, of senior leaders in the ministry team, and we were working through how do we, how do we navigate all that needs to be done and, and faithfully step with God. And, and in that moment... I felt and heard God speak to me and say that unless we confess and repent the sins of our journey, we won't. So in that moment, that rocked me. I'm sitting in a room of 10 leaders. We've got, we've got an agenda that could take us hours to fill. And I realize he's asking us to stop and to enter a time of confession and repentance. So I got up and I shared that with my comrades, my fellow leaders. I said, this is what I think he's saying. And I said, here's, here's one of the areas I think we have had sin in our camp. And, and I want to invite you in to help me just walk through what are those things. And in a matter of minutes, just the Holy Spirit was so powerfully moving, we came up with a very full list of like 20 different things that we could say, Lord, have mercy on us. And as I look at that list, man, it broke me. I started to weep. I felt the weight of that corporate junk and, and, and for the, about the next hour, we got on our knees. We laid out flat on the floor. We cried out to God, and we wept before him, asking for mercy, confessing and repenting. And it was powerful. Because when we do that kind of thing, he hears, he forgives, and he gives us freedom. It was John who wrote in 1 John, he said this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what we were experiencing in that moment. It was such a powerful thing. The very next day, we gathered, gathered as an all-team moment, and I invited them into that a very similar process. It was amazing to see them create a very similar list. <laughs> and we engaged in prayer, confession and repentance. Now, as spiritual leaders, we can and should intercede on behalf of God's people. There are many examples of this in Scripture, from Jesus to Moses. And what we have started this past week is, is a journey and have stepped into a new season. It's going to involve other leadership circles. We're going to be doing other things as we process our journey and, and explore who we are and our hearts and our past. 
But I want to invite you to join in that process, to, to do this on your own. There is a need for us to individually confess and repent. We individually break the heart of God. We can do it as a community. We can do it corporately, but we also do it individually. And until we deal with the sin in our lives, we don't experience the greater things His love wants to bring into our journey and our experience. And we end up living in a form of bondage. But there is freedom in confession and repentance because He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. Not so we're perfect, but so we're clean. Because when freedom is not lived, it's lost. And I'm convinced that we lost some of our freedom along the journey. Because when, when we don't live out the whole gospel, when we live saved and not sent, when we don't invest in a second gap, we don't build bridges, then we disobey. And we make this life about us. And we live as a taker or a matcher. And we don't love. And one of the things that we need to know to be able to move forward in the freedom that He gives is that His love gives us freedom, but not license. Love gives freedom, not license. Our, our freedom is not license, but liberty. And as a church, we've struggled to live out the whole gospel, saved, not sent. And the Lord is calling us to more. It, it's not about doing what we want, it's about doing what we ought. And the Lord gives freedom to do what we ought, not license to do what we want. And Paul held this perspective, and, and he wrote in his letter to the church, the same, same letter that he wrote about love being the greatest, he said this just a little bit ahead of it. He said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That mentality and that perspective is reflected when we pursue second gap ministries and investments when we use our freedom for the good of others, to live like Christ, to love people. And listen, how much we engage in the lives of other people, how much we engage in their hurts and their sufferings and their pain and their need reveals how much we love them. There's a great quote from a theologian. He really words it well. I want to share it with you. He said, tell me how much you know of the sufferings of your fellow men, and I will tell you how much you have loved them. That's deep. And that's convicting. And if we're not careful, we can become spiritual consumers rather than spiritual contributors, and we live as takers when we're called to be lovers. You know, we can choose to be comfortable, or we can choose to be obedient, but we cannot choose to be both. In fact, I, I believe that God will one day want to hear from each of us what we have done with what He has given us. And I can literally just picture and imagine him asking a very specific question. What will you do with my love? What did you do with my love? What did you do with my love? Look, you may not be a narcissist taker, but are you living as a lover? One loved and loving. And until we care more about others than our own comfort, we're out of step with God because He sends us to go be love. What will you do with His love? Let's go to the so what, like what do we do next? How do we apply this? 
Well, bottom line, walk in the way of love. That, that's it. Simply walk in the way of love. Wherever you are, God still wants to use you for good. If we just go back to that diagram, the, the reality is that if you're here and you're spiritually unresolved, you've not crossed this gap and been in, through Jesus and have a relationship with God now, then, then you, the, the walk in the way of love moment for you is to choose to receive Jesus, to be able to know God and be reconciled to God. If you've already done that, to walk in the way of love means you are saved, but you are now sent. And, and, and Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, has positioned everyone who follows him to go be love. Jesus came so all people, every tribe, every tongue, would have the opportunity to live life to the full. And we have the opportunity and the responsibility to invest beyond ourselves and ultimately give ourselves away as we walk in the way of love. So this moment today begins a four-week journey that allows us to focus on a 12-month <laughs> emphasis and to live out a lifelong reality that everything we do is mission and we're called to walk in the way of love. This is so clear, but yet we struggle. It was Paul who wrote in a different letter. He said this in Galatians. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. And this is what we're called to do. Now, hopefully when you came in, you're able to see one of these booklets or grab one or have someone hand one to you. Go ahead and just grab it for a moment. This is our Go Be Love booklet. We share a number of stories in it, some good information. I encourage you to pray through it, thumb through it. I also encourage you to go to our website that'll give you more information that's not contained here in the booklet. But today starts our faith promise emphasis. And, and, and we as a church ask all of our members and regular attenders each year to designate a dollar amount that they will give to support our sent investments. This is beyond regular tithes and offerings. And, and we believe that God provides the resources as we all step out in faith. I've seen it time and time again. But this is not knowing about where resources come from. It's about trusting God to provide what he says and asks you to provide. And so that's why we call it faith promise. It's a promise before God and a trust in Him that He will provide for His work around the world. Now, our goal this year is $350,000. That's a step up from last year. It's a big goal, but we believe it honors a big God. And if He moves you to engage, it could be in a, a small gift, a large gift, a one-time gift, or an ongoing gift. Just do what He says. There's a card inside that booklet that I want to encourage you to to stick somewhere and begin to pray and ask God what he wants you to do, how he wants you to engage. There's a way to communicate once you know what it is he's asked you to do in the faith promise commitment. But this is the place to start, and it's one specific way for us to go be love. Now, I want to be really clear. This is not a series about money, but mission. And not missions, but mission. It's about purpose. It's about our calling. And there'll be no pleading. There's no arm twisting. There's no pressure in this. I'm simply asking that you talk to God, ask him what he wants you to do, and then do what he says. I firmly believe that, that, that those who have been given the gift of earning 
are inherently positioned to live out the gift of giving. And I want to encourage you to take this card and put it somewhere where you can begin to pray and ask him what he wants you to do so that you can walk in the way of love. To go be love first requires repentance, confession, purification, salvation. And, and when we live that out, when we experience salvation and then we live as a sent people, God works and moves in crazy ways. And if we will do this as a people, he will, he will do Second Chronicles 7 in us as a church and through us as a church. And it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I will heal their families. I will heal their communities and their cities. And as we live into this boldly, courageously, sacrificially, God will once again use Heritage Church to make a difference in these cities and around the world. And that's awesome. And he's positioning and calling you to live into this we, we can live in freedom. Jesus breaks every change, but the freedom chains, but every freedom he gives, all the freedom he gives, he positions us to facilitate freedom in others. What will you do with his love? What will you do with his freedom? Well, we'll share some more information about partners and opportunities over the next few weeks. But as you begin to pray, and as you head out here in a few moments, there is more information in the lobby. You can get more information online as well. But we're going to take some time over the next three weeks to unpack more how love is greater and how he is calling us to go be love through the investments that he's bringing before us. We have an opportunity to do great good for his glory. And what this season is, is an opportunity to create space for the Holy Spirit to lead. What will you do with his love? Let's take a moment and pray together as we step back into worship. Father, I thank you for your demonstration of love through your son, Jesus. I thank you that you have first loved us, and, and as a result, we can then love you and we can love others. God, I thank you that you have given us freedom. And I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters that they would fully live into that freedom. If there's anyone in the context of our church family, anyone hearing this right now that is not living out the freedom available in Jesus, I pray that, that you would lead them to take that next step and walk in the way of love, to receive salvation or to live out the sent reality Father, may we be a people that you're able to work in and through and never have to work in spite of. God, we want to be a people who, who see you at work well beyond us. We are so dependent upon you. We need you to show up, and I pray that you would continue to lead us as we all seek your face to know how do we step, how do we, how do we steward the love you've given to us? Who's around us? What bridges do we need to build? What next step is before us? And I pray you'd speak, and I pray, Father, that you would heal this land and that you would use us as a catalyst to bringing that about through the power of your Holy Spirit that we receive through confession and repentance as we receive your son, Jesus. God, may your will be done. Thank you for Jesus. God, we pray this stuff in his name boldly with expectancy. And may you help us from this point forward to go and be love. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.